Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Contact Centre podcast where we're looking at the topic of emotional intelligence in the Contact Centre. In this special edition we'll be listening to a presentation given by emotional intelligence coach and customer experience expert Sandra Thompson. The presentation was given as part of a recent call centre helper webinar, a webinar program in which Sandra often features and is a very popular speaker amongst our regular attendees. Just a quick note before we start listening to a great presentation though, around three minutes in, Sandra discusses something called the chimp paradox. When discussing this, she references a slide from her original presentation. This slide shows a picture of the brain. In the centre of the brain, or the amygdala, is a picture of a chimp. Then, in the front of the brain, or the prefrontal cortex, is a picture of a stick man. In her presentation, Sandra discusses the connection between the chimp and the stick man when we react to an unfamiliar situation. So keep that image in mind, but more importantly, sit back and enjoy this really interesting presentation. So here it is, emotional intelligence. And the conversation I'm having with a lot of people is these turbulent times. You know, it's extraordinary how people are adapting, how people are choosing to take on a positive outlook, how people are coaching others through this stage. And actually, it means that emotional intelligence isn't just good for business. It's good for your own kind of peace of mind. So I want to cover some of those things as part of this overall topic of emotional intelligence in the call centre, because I think that not only have I learned that, in fact, it changes the relationships I have in my work, but it changes the relationships I have at home. So with that in mind, I'd like to cover five areas. Emotions, super fast, a bit of a rocket-fueled introduction to that. Many of you will know this stuff, but I think it's always handy to have a bit of a reminder as to what emotions really are. A little bit about emotion intelligence and then moving into empathy, because I think that certainly in these times now, I'm seeing far more empathetic behaviour, you know, the type of gratitude that we are displaying as human beings, the type of connectivity that we are creating with our neighbours, you know, I've never spoken to the neighbours here, all of a sudden we're having a cup of tea over the fence, what's all that about? Then moving on to some things around language, just a couple of bits and pieces I think might be helpful, some behavioural science in there, and a little bit about leadership. So this whole thing around emotions. So I think we know when we've had some emotions, most often when we reflect on something and often we regret how we've shown up. Certainly when I started this learning experience with the Goldman guys, they talked about your choice to react or to respond and I was thinking, well, that's all, that's all very interesting, but what exactly does that mean? So ultimately, what they were teaching us is you can sense in your body, if you're, if you're attuned to this, you can sense in your body when an emotion is rising. It happens so incredibly fast. But if you take a moment to actually consider what that emotion is, just for a moment, take a bit of a breath then you can decide whether or not you want to lose your cool, you want to show someone some deep 
understanding or whether you want to be cross or whatever you want to be because emotions are a consequence of so many things lots of people think that there are just six that was something that was written down in the 60s now we know through things like mri and lots of other types of research that emotions are as unique as your thumb print how you've grown up the people who have influenced you, the actual situation at the time, your experiences, what you know, influence all of those things. And now when I show you this particular kind of cartoon illustration from a phenomenal book called The Chimp Paradox, what we've got going on here is actually a whole bunch of things going on in the brain. And many of you may know this. I'm actually also now a student of a neuroscience course, but I've only just started, so, so bear with me on that. But a woman called Lisa Feldman Barrett, she's a neuroscientist out in the States, talked about how your emotions don't control you. You can control your emotions. And what she's really talking about is this chimpanzee, this little chimp in the centre of your brain in a, in a place called the amygdala. And what she talks about, what's talked about within this book, is the fact that the chimp basically says, right, there's an experience happening right, I'm going to check quickly with the computer. Have we had this before? Is this okay? And the computer can say, yeah, we've had it before. It's all okay. And then the chimp is like, okay, that's cool. Or the chimp says, have we had this before? And the computer goes, no. And then the chimp goes absolutely bananas, goes berserk. And what happens when the chimp goes berserk is that the kind of stick man that you can see there as an area called the prefrontal cortex just basically freezes. The connection between them freezes. So you can't think straight. So I don't know about you guys, but certainly when I lose my temper or if I'm totally stressed, I can't think straight. And the amazing thing about emotional intelligence, about even breathing, is that you can calm that chimp down. You can actually manage your emotions. They don't happen to you. They are in your control. So that's the kind of thing I wanted just to cover off first off. It's a bit about emotions being completely unique to you. You don't know what's going to show up. And I think particularly in contact centres, while people may say, oh, this person's going to turn up, they're going to be really annoyed, you have no idea until you actually get into either written communication or speaking with them to look out for some of those nuances, whether or not when that person is speaking, they have a different tone, they have a different volume, the language they're using, some of the sighing or other types of sounds they're making. So this guy, Daniel Goleman, Dr. Daniel Goleman, wrote a book in the late 90s, which basically said emotional intelligence is about your ability to recognize and understand emotion in yourself and others. You know, so when I started this course and they said, you know, it's all very important that you have a self-awareness. And I thought, I, I think I know who I am. But in fact, what they're talking about is really knowing how you respond and how you want to actually be with others. Because it's only when you really appreciate how you're triggered or where you find calm that you can actually understand how others are feeling. So this thing around emotional intelligence is often called empathy. We'll come on to that in just a second. And I just wanted to share with you a model that was written, it was in the Harvard Business Review quite some time ago, this whole thing around emotional self-awareness. So some of you may have undertaken personality profiles, you might do 360s, where people tell you what they perceive you to be. And that's super, super helpful, because often that creates 
it kind of takes out the blind spots that we have about ourselves. But in fact, if we just take some time ourselves just to sit, just to breathe, just even to maybe write in a journal, even on your phone, making a few notes when you felt something either positive or negative, it helps you build up an understanding of how you're wired. So coming back to the earlier point I was making around the turbulent times we find ourselves in. So it's known scientifically that people with a high EQ, a high emotional intelligence, show all of these competencies. So they're easier to adapt. They can deal with conflict an awful lot easier. In some cases, they can actually avoid conflict from showing up. They're able to influence others. They have a better organisational awareness. So through the types of practices, and I'll cover a couple in a moment, the type of practices that I've been learning over the last 18 months, I think I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to show a few more of these types of skills. And I think the thing that the scientists talk about is that an IQ, so an intelligence level, can take you so far particularly in your work, but it's the emotional intelligence that is found in people who are high performers. So coming on to this point of empathy, and this is one of my soapbox moments, so bear with me for a second. People talk about empathy, it's about being in somebody else's shoes. Well, in actual fact, there are three types, and they're three layers depending on what you are able to do. So cognitive is, yeah, I totally get how you're feeling. I can be on the same page as you. I, I can understand it cognitively in my brain. The second one is where I can feel it, where it's likely that you've been in a situation like that before, or you've met someone who's also been in a situation like that before. So you can actually feel it. It's not just in your mind. The third one is where the magic happens. Now, I've called people in call centres before now and they've been able to say to me, yeah, I totally get how you're feeling. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that you do, but it's okay because I'm sure you can solve this problem. And then they'll say, yeah, I understand that's a bit of a problem, but I can't do anything to help you. Compassionate is where you understand, but then you're actually able to do something, to actually act on that feeling of empathy. And we'll come back in a moment to that point around being able to do the right thing towards the back end of this presentation. But I wanted just to say to you that there are three types and organisations that enable people to show that compassionate side are those that are getting a better emotional connection with their customers. Hi everyone, it's me again. Before we get back to Sandra's great presentation, I quickly want to thank Odigo for sponsoring this episode of our podcast. Odigo helps large organisations connect with individuals through world-class, cloud-based contact centre solutions. Their cutting-edge technologies enable a seamless, efficient, omni-channel experience for your customers and an engaging experience for your service agents. To find out more about Odigo's contact centre solutions, visit www.odigo.com and we've also made that link available in the description box below. But that's enough from me now. Let's turn our attention back to Sandra's presentation and listen to even more of her interesting insights. So moving on to language, oh, this area is, is so incredible. And in actual fact, a lady I saw speak at a conference some years ago, a brilliant book called Talk that has a number of things within it. But I want to just focus on three particular areas here. The first thing I want to talk about is how to give bad news. Now, the interesting thing about bad news is that it presents a threat to our 
survival. It's as big as that. That's the reason why no one likes bad news is because it's a threat to us succeeding, to us progressing. And that chimp in the middle of our brain kicks off because it doesn't know what it's going to do with this bad news that you've just given someone. Now, what the science says is not always comfortable for the person delivering the bad news, but it is more effective. And this is what they say. They say that giving bad news directly and sensitively, but without beating around the bush, is the way to do it. Now, I know for sure that earlier in my career, I would find a way to wrap it round and give a whole preamble. But in fact, direct is best. As long as you know the person that you're speaking to, you feel comfortable with the type of person that you're speaking to, and you're able to position it in a way that they understand. What the science says is that people are far more grateful for that than you making them work really hard to work out what you're saying. So I have a couple of recommendations here. I recommend that you come up with some scenarios. If you haven't done this already, you may have done this already, right? You come up with some scenarios where these types of things could be the bad news that you give people. You think about the types of words that you might use, the type of language that could be supportive, and maybe you role play that with a few people and you find out from them how it feels to deliver that type of language to them to see whether or not actually that was a little bit too harsh or, in fact, I wasn't clear on what that meant. So understanding what it is you need to say and then role playing it so you feel comfortable and confident in that space. The final thing as well is just to check in that the individual understands clearly on what you've told them, because there's certainly something around calls coming back if it's not been clear. This point about reassuring is an interesting one. And in actual fact, a chap called Richard Chataway, who I met recently, who wrote a book, in fact, called behavior business, I believe, talked about some experiments that he had undertaken in, in a call center environment. And he was talking about how there's lots of initiatives he had brought about that were counterintuitive. So for example, and I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this, but this is what I've learned, that when people are asked security questions and they're starting to mess it up, telling them, don't worry, take your time. That is hugely reassuring. And what they're finding is that people will get to the answer far faster than if they feel rushed, knowing that they feel reassured, knowing that there's no pressure to actually get this done means that they're finding the answers far faster. The other thing that I've experienced myself recently is when people say to me, it's going to be fine. I'm going to sort this for you. Or do you know what? I know that this might seem really major, but it really isn't too big because a lot of people call about this. So using social norms to say you're not the only person who's worried about this, that could work in some cases. And others, when they basically say, I've got your back, I'm here with you, we can work this out together, or I can take care of you. I mean, in these times now where people are fearful, they're really concerned, it can be just a calm, carefully, created sentence that can just change the pace of the conversation. This final part then around how to silence your inner critic. I'm still working on my inner critic, I'd like to say. It gives me a battering every so often. But overall, this is about how you change your inner critic into your inner coach. Now, something that I've started doing within this household is to encourage people to think about what they're grateful for. 
So this is literally a case of rather than being fearful about this and what might happen, what might happen, what are you grateful for right now? It's a beautiful sunny day. We have a garden. Blah, 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 blah. Now, the interesting thing about gratitude is that you can't feel fear at the same time as gratitude. So if your inner critic is giving yourselves a bit of a beating, be grateful for the skills that you have got. And also consider, if you would, maybe creating a journal, even if it's a few notes on your mobile phone of, in fact, I'm really brilliant at this. Or even if a customer says, thank you so much, bank that up and really challenge your inner critic to be thinking in a slightly different way. So emotional intelligence also is a very important skill for leaders because ultimately how they show up for their team, how they show up for the people who they work to can make or break a relationship and, and can give people the opportunity to either do their best or actually just toe the line or feel despondent and then you get people leaving. And I wanted to kind of leave you with the thoughts of an incredible guy, Daniel Pink. He talks about motivation as three key areas, three key areas of focus. There's one part which is around mastery. So giving people the opportunity to be the best they can. So whether that's treat, giving them the opportunity to learn new skills, whether that's learning a new topic and having new knowledge. But it means that people feel that they are invested in. They feel like they've actually been like at the top of their game. The second thing is purpose. And certainly the thing that I understand, particularly from the students that I teach, that when times are tough, when they are feeling like the inner critic is battering them around the head, knowing that the purpose of what they're doing is greater than them. So in fact, they're solving people's problems. They're making people achieve X, Y, and Z, whatever the purpose is for your business. As a leader, taking time to remind people what their higher purpose is in their organization can be hugely influential. <clears throat> And then this final part really around autonomy, giving people the opportunity as far as you can to make their own decisions. No one likes to be told what to do. In fact, people like to have the opportunity to control their lives as much as they can within a framework. So that's the last kind of point on motivation. Just to say, to round up all of this stuff, you have the ability to reframe a situation. You have the ability to choose to respond or to react. If you breathe, take your time, even five deep breaths can actually make things <clears throat> feel more positive. That's all for today's episode. Thank you to Sandra Thompson for sharing her great presentation with us. To hear more of Sandra's great insights, look out for a previous episode of our podcast entitled Customer Experience, the new thinking for delighting your customers. This episode includes a conversation between Sandra and myself, which includes many more interesting snippets of information, and it was a lot of fun to record. If you'd also like to listen to the full webinar recording, which this presentation was originally a part of, you can do so by finding the relevant link in the description box below. We hope to bring you more podcast episodes like this in the near future, so stay tuned and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and thanks for listening. The Contact Centre podcast is produced by Call Centre Helper, the leading contact centre magazine. You can subscribe to our podcasts or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. You can also access our entire range of podcasts through the Call Center Helper website by visiting callcenterhelper.com.
forward slash podcasts. 